We'll now uh, read from our scripture passage this morning, which is out of James 2, verses 1 to 13. Join along with me in the NIV translation. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Adam, and those of us who don't realize, um, we're actually three in number, and many more um, have logged in, so want to really thank God for that, and before we hear from the Word of God, let's look to God in prayer. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful, dear God, for the ability to reach out to those beyond this building who can hear your word, who can worship with us. Even though we are far away from each other, we know, dear God, that your spirit does unite us. And we have sensed your presence already in the service and we ask, dear God, that as your word would go forth, it would go forth with power, with an unction, with healing, and with a call. A call to come back to you, a call to, to prayer, a call to humility, a call, dear God, that we would answer and say yes to your will, yes to your way. We would answer, dear God, and just give ourselves totally over to you. And we pray, dear God, that this would be done. Bless now, dear God, your manservant, as I bring the word. And may the words that I speak, dear God, would glorify your name to your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Reverend McDonald is a senior pastor 
of Harvard Bible Chapel Church in the Chicago area. He also leads a Bible ministry, Walk in the Word, which people can watch you know, and listen to online and on the radio. And Mac Pastor McDonald recently posted a video of himself dressed as a homeless man with a shaggy gray beard and long gray hair, wearing a flannel jacket with holes in it. He pushes a shopping cart with uh, belongings and camps outside his church. In addition, he puts a cup for donation next to him. Here's a picture of uh, Pastor McDonald as he dressed as this homeless man sitting outside one of his uh, church campuses. Time and again, the video shows people walking right by him. Some go to their, out of their way to actually avoid him. Eventually, the video shows Pastor McDonald pushing the shopping cart, still dressed as a homeless person. It's a, it's a hilarious part of it. Um, filled with people. The, 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 the sanctuary filled with people. He's pushing this shopping cart right down the aisle, right to the front of the church. He walks to the pulpit and takes off his costume. He tells the congregation about how he, he's camped out in front of a couple of the church's campuses to see how the church is doing when it's the hardest to love. One of the messages he says to the congregation is that their Father in heaven is given the same graces to the people they find the hardest to love. He says, if we're going to love like our Father in heaven loves, we don't get to play favorites. So how did our church do in the video, he asked. He says, I'm going to tell you now. He says, I was crying inside, fighting back the emotions. Reverend McDonald spoke of the number of people that passed him. But he also spoke of the number of people that stopped and prayed with him. And even brought him food. And he said, just watch and see as he showed him this video. The video then proceeds to show congregants giving food to the disguised pastor. Praying with him and showing the love of Jesus towards him. One person said, I thought we'd bring you something to eat this morning. As they reached out and helped this homeless person. Here's coffee, another one said. Could we just pray a quick prayer for you? A couple said. Dear Heavenly Father, they prayed. We're so thankful, Lord, that you brought this man to your church on this day. We're blessed that he's here. Another put money in the cup and just simply said, God bless you. A woman reached out to the disguised pastor praying, God, I just pray that you would meet this man and Father, that if it would be your will that you would just have him come to church today. 
but that you would just know the love of Christ. She said to the homeless man, I don't want you to be out here without knowing him and knowing his love. The video ends with a powerful scripture. The words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It's a powerful video. You see, we live in an image-driven culture. People are accepted or rejected in a clique by how they dress, by the sneaker brand they wear, the designer jacket they have on, the brand and model phone they have, you name it. How we present ourselves can determine if we are in or if we're out of a group. Rejection by peers is a terrible thing. It's even hyperbolized in, a, in, a, in the teenage years. As a middle school teacher, I've seen it tear deep into the heart and psychic of, uh, of young teenagers, spiraling them into a pit of loneliness, self-doubt, anxiety, and low self-esteem. James. James speaks directly to the church against this image-driven culture and its resulting sin. He uses a straightforward and practical approach, challenging believers to think and act above this worldly mindset. He introduces this topic with an exhortation in verse 1. He follows that with an illustration in verse 2 to verse 4. He continues by explaining a practical and spiritual rationale behind his admonition, verses 5 to 11. And finally, he closes his thoughts on the topic with a conclusion that he draws in verse 12 and verse 13. So as we look into James's approach on this topic, let's, let's be straight. Let's get straight about who we are. We're sinners saved by grace. We've been called to serve God. And let's focus on who God is. He is the glorious Lord Jesus in light of who we are, sinners saved by grace, and who he is, King of kings and Lord of lords, we are admonished to show no partiality. This is in the present tense, which means we are to stop showing partiality. So when we think of partiality, we think of terms such as favoritism, discrimination, prejudice, racism. Well, favoritism is giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. We've all done that. Discrimination is the practice of treating one person or group of people less fairly than other people or groups. 
Prejudice literally comes from the word prejudge and refers to discriminating against people solely on the basis of outward appearance. Racism is an explicit or sometimes implicit belief or practice that qualitatively distinguishes or values one race over another. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. Warren Worsby nails it when he says, The way we behave toward people indicates what we really believe about our God. <laughs> Let me say that again. The way we behave toward people indicates what we really believe about God. If you really want to test your faith, if you really want a mirror, a true mirror to see how, how, how authentic is your faith, just check. Check yourself. How do you treat others? Not necessarily those who you get along well with. Because, you know, the, the scripture says if you love those who love you, then, you know, I mean, you know, the sinners do that. Sinners do that. So, how well do we treat others? Especially when it is hardest to love. When we are challenged, that will give us a true indication as to our belief in God. As to our faith in God. When we practice partiality, in essence, we have set up ourselves as judges. If we do that, we're actually taking God's job of being a judge away from him. Here's a news flash. He doesn't need our help. God is judge and he has done it in the past. He is doing it in the present. He will do it in the future. He has never needed our help. He does not need our help today. Verse 4. Have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Making distinction has the idea of separating people into dis distinct categories. So, let me share with you a life story. Years ago, when I was younger, more foolish, and so blinded by self-centeredness, I was a little boy growing up in Kingston, Jamaica. And our family, we weren't super wealthy, but we were definitely not poor. We didn't lack for anything. We were a large household of nine, eh, sometimes ten. There were many times when unemployed people, men, and women would come to our gate and ask if my parents had work for them to do. In Jamaica, we use the term day's work. Because they would come and ask, uh, and they were willing to do landscaping. 
mowing the lawn, cutting the hedges, or doing something that would occupy them for a day, and they would get paid for that day, and so they would come and ask for a day's work. There were times when my mom would create work, literally create work. Mom, we, we mowed the lawn last week. It doesn't need mowing. But she would ask this person to mow the lawn even though it didn't need it. She would create work for these people. She would then pay them. And she would always invite them to eat dinner with us. Many of these individuals refused and insisted. They, it was okay because they felt so uncomfortable taking you know, dinner from this lady and her family. My mom always got her way. <laughs> she not only insisted that they eat dinner, she insisted that they would eat dinner at the dinner table. Some of them would, you know, even, you know, verbally just, you know, just say, no, no, Mrs. Mason, uh, you know, we can sit on the steps of the back porch. Could you, could you wrap the food up for us? I'll take it to go. And my mom, she always got her way. She would insist they would sit at the dinner table. So here it was, a table, crowded now with 10 or 11 people. It was not the most pleasant place for young Derek Patrick Mason. You see, it was a living hell for me if the uninvited, I, unwelcome maybe, invited by my mom, but unwelcome by me, the unwelcome guest, sometimes was seated right next to me. I was angry at mom for punishing me like that because sometimes that person had a very strong odor. And it was an unpleasant experience for me. It was years before I realized the life lesson that my mom was teaching all her children. All should be treated with respect and honor irrespective of how they dress, how they look, or how they even smell. My mom, having been schooled in the fine arts of British table etiquette, she passed this knowledge on to her children, that is, those who would, who would listen. Later on, as a young man, I remember my mom telling me, she said, I want you to be comfortable if you ever had the occasion to sit and eat with royalty or with some high official. I want you to be comfortable sitting and eating with the wealthy and the people of high position. But I also would want you to be comfortable sitting on the curb and eating with a homeless person. Agnes Mason was a prime example of one who did not show partiality or favoritism. 
It took me a while to learn the lesson that she was teaching me. Yep, that lesson even she was teaching that young 10-year-old Derek Patrick Mason sitting around a dinner table with invited, but in my little heart, unwanted guests. See, James' first explanation of his position on the matter appears to the early believers' experience of dealing with the wealthy. He says, as those who oppress us and drag us to court and blaspheme the name of our Lord. Come on now, James was, you know, appears to be saying to his readers, if you're going to play favorites, why give preference to the very people who abuse you? <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. That doesn't make sense, he says. Maybe he was saying that people sometimes show preference and favor to the oppressors with the hope that the level of oppression would be lighter. Wow. Isn't that sad? But secondly, James explains or defends his stance with Scripture. He says, let love be your law. Let love be your law. You remember what John said? He says, a new commandment I gave unto you, that you love one another. And then he says, uh, actually, it's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment. So the old commandment is the new commandment. And the new commandment is that you love one another. Wow. Let love be your law. Here's the challenge. What's your law? A law is something that we, that, that we follow as a guideline. That we follow. You know, and, and, and So what's, what's the driving force in your life? What's the driving force? What's the impetus for you in your actions? What's, what's the thing that motivates you? What's your motive for doing this or for doing that? James says, let love be that thing. Let love be your law. We see this in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It says, you do that? You're all right. You're doing well. You're doing well. This is a quote from uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which was also referenced by our glorious Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 22. The reason this is called the, law, the royal law is because King Jesus, amen, is because King Jesus reinforced it. Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If there's any doubt, James puts all questions to rest. Showing favoritism, treating one person better than another based on dress, presumed wealth or status, gender, race, or whatever, James says, simply, it's sin. Verse 9 reads, But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. 
We should not love because of, we should love in spite of. Amen. Amen. We should not love because of, we should love in spite of. Amen. Finally, James leaves us with the conclusion on the whole matter in verse 12 and verse 13. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. For judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Sometimes we are so quick to judge. Sometimes we are so moved by our selfishness and our, and, 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 and our selfishness which blinds us from the truth, blinds us from, from God's love that we are quick to judge and quick to make foolish decisions. There's a story told of, a, of an old lady. She went to a local church in her community. And at the end of the sermon, the invitation was given. She went forward and prayed. And then she spoke with the pastor and the deacons and she said she wanted to become a member. Wanted to be baptized and become a member of the church. The pastor listened as she told him how she had accepted Christ. And wanted to become a member. You know, be baptized. And the pastor and the deacons, you know, they said, oh, oh my. She is really not well kept. Even mm, smells a, a little bit. And even in their conversation with her, they kind of stepped back a little bit because of the body odor. One person even commented that her fingernails were, you know, really dirty and were not clean. I saw her picking up garbage last week, one said. What would the members think? Uh, so the pastor you know, you know, um, came back to the lady and, and he, he told her that she needed to go home and, and pray about it uh, uh, and then decide if she really wanted to be a, a member of their church. The following week there she came again. She told the pastor and the deacons that she had prayed about it and still wanted to be baptized, still wanted to be a, a member of their church. She said, I have passed this church for so long, almost every day. It's so beautiful on the outside, and it's so beautiful on the inside also. And I truly want to become a member of this church. Again, the pastor and deacons told her, says, I'm, you know, go, 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 go home, you know, pray about this some more. Pray about this some more, you know, you know, see if this is, you know, what God wants you to do. And a few weeks later, while he was out eating at a restaurant, and after eating, you know, he was leaving the restaurant, and sure enough, on the sidewalk, he bumped into the, the, this, this lady. 
He didn't want her to think that he was ignoring her, so you know he 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 had no choice. I mean, they bumped into each other, and and, and the pastor said, you know, I, I, I've not seen you for for quite a while, for a few weeks. Is everything okay? She said, Oh yes, I I I did exactly what you said. I, I went home and I talked with Jesus. And, and, and Jesus told me not to worry about becoming a member of your church. He did? Pastor said. Oh yes, she replied. He said that, uh, he said that he had been trying to get into your church and he wasn't able to get into your church. So I shouldn't worry about it. <laughs> My prayer is that not just Boston Church, Christ the King Church, but every church that goes by the name of Christ will be a place where the Spirit of God dwells. Will be a place where the Spirit of God dwells, where Christ is, is sensed and the Spirit of God is, 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 is able to move into the hearts of people, not only who are in the church, who are members of the church, but people who are coming in as visitors, that God will be able to move freely among us. And this can be so. This can be so. But we need to humble ourselves before God and treat people the way people should be treated. As James is here, clearly clearly just 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 laid it out for us in very practical ways he said you know james says in in verse 12 so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty in other words if you walk the walk then talk the talk your walk and your talk must line up does the world see a judgmental christian or do they see a fellow sinner? Because we are all sinners. The difference is we are sinners saved by grace. You see, because there is sin, there's got to be judgment. Hmm. Understand this, that we are not the people to judge. It is God who judges. But because there is sin, there must be judgment. God does ne has never and will never need our help to judge. But because God loves us, he sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins. God was merciful, so there must be mercy. <laughs> God was merciful, so there must be mercy. James in verse 13 tells us, he concludes that mercy triumphs over judgment every time. Mercy triumphs over judgment every single time. Hear the words of our Lord. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If we judge, we drive people away from us. For more church and from the God for whom 
we are ambassadors. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi described the time he considered converting to Christianity because he saw in the teachings of Jesus the solution to the caste system which was dividing the people of India in his mind. So on one Sunday he decided to attend services at a nearby church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. However, when he entered the sanctuary, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested he go worship with his own people. Mahatma Gandhi left the church and never returned. He later wrote in his autobiography, If Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. We have a real and heavy responsibility of representing Christ to the world. Today this challenge is ever so much more pressing. This coronavirus, this pandemic which the world is facing is disruptive. It's disruptive to our work, our schooling, our family life, our financial situation. It's disruptive to our shopping, our leisure time, our eating, our, our eating habits. Our entire lives have been turned upside down. I mean, three months ago, I didn't even know about the term, you know, coronavirus. Although someone told me recently that the, uh, the, 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 the Lysol spray bottle has, you know, on it that it, 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 it kills the, you know, the human coronavirus. Um, and that has always been there, but, you know, no one, no one ever saw that before. Fine prints. But two to three months ago, we didn't even hear about the term social distancing. Really? This is probably the most challenging situation in our society, in our town, maybe in our city, maybe in our state, in our country, maybe in the world for quite a while. Who could have imagined you know, a world where people don't meet and greet, don't hug, don't shake hands, purposely stay at least five feet from each other? I was at the supermarket recently. All the cashiers had gloves. I was in line and the person behind me and that person was in line, but the person behind me was, you know, five feet behind me. And would not push the card, would not come and push the card to the cash register until I was pretty much gone. Who could have imagined a world like that? In the midst of this chaotic life experience, the church is called to be a light. 
Maybe we could reach out to the elderly and those with reduced immune systems who are in the high-risk category. Maybe we could offer to do their shopping or other activities that would put them at risk if they did it themselves. See, people are looking for authentic, genuine Christians. Authentic and genuine to the core. And that will only happen if we submit ourselves to the will of God. If we say yes to his will. Yes to his way. If we say yes Lord I will be what you want me to be. Even in this time. God is calling his church to be just that. Let's answer his call. I leave you with these words. It's found in verse 13. <laughs> Every time I read it, you know, I, I, preparing the sermon, I, I read it and I just, I just laughed. I said, wow, what, 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 what great words. Where James simply says, mercy triumphs over judgment. In our interaction with others, be merciful, not judgmental, because mercy triumphs over judgment. In our relationships, be it with our spouse, be it with our kids, be it with our parents, our grandparents, our uncles, our aunts, mercy triumphs over judgment. Even if we think even if we think we are 100% in the right and the other person is 100% in the wrong. Mercy.